We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their, power, their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. I hope you've all heard those words at least once before or have at least read them. It comes from the Declaration of Independence, which was signed July 4th, 1776. It's why we celebrate the 4th of July, why it's a federal holiday. It's a day to celebrate freedom. In this declaration, Thomas Jefferson shares with us the reason for government to secure the rights given to us by our Creator. Our government's job is to protect our freedom. We live in freedom. But that doesn't mean we get to go and do whatever it is we want to do. There are still laws, which is why on the 4th of July you light fireworks and not your neighbor's house on fire, because there are still laws. I remember leaving a high school football game with my dad one time. We were following a couple of middle school students, and one of them was exhibiting his preference for the use of sentence enhancers. I'll let you fill in the blanks with that. My dad, a teacher in the school, approached one of them and said that wasn't proper behavior, to which the middle school student proceeded to instruct my dad, who again is a teacher at the school and teaches American history, he knows a thing or two about our freedoms, to instruct my dad that it's a free country and he has the freedom of speech to say whatever he wants. A few years later, my dad had him as a student, I think, and I'm not sure how it went. I should ask him. But is that what freedom is? Does freedom give you the right to do whatever it is you want to say or whatever it is you want to do? Paul teaches us about freedom in Galatians chapter 5. He reminds the church in Galatia of freedom's source, freedom's condition, and freedom's purpose. I'll invite you to follow along and stand out of respect for God's word as I read Galatians 5, verses 1 through 14. Galatians 5, verses 1 through 14. Reading in Jesus' name. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but that the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, freedom, brethren. 
Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your truth, that you would open our hearts to receive the message you have for us, open our ears as well, open our minds to understand this passage, and open our eyes, Lord, to see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Paul identifies the source of freedom in the beginning of this chapter here. It wasn't something new that the Galatians were just learning for the first time. He has brought it up in every single chapter in the book of Galatians. What is the source of freedom? What does the text say? In verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Christ set us free. The source of freedom is Christ. And this freedom that Christ brings to us isn't the political freedom that we get to enjoy here in the U.S. It's so much greater. It's so much more important than those freedoms. What is this freedom? What does this freedom look like? And Paul explains this throughout the whole book of Galatians. He explains that Christ gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. He identifies this freedom as being justified by faith in Christ and not by works of law. He attaches righteousness to this freedom in chapter 2, verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through law, then Christ died needlessly. This freedom is also identified as receiving the Spirit in chapter 3, verse 2, by hearing with faith and that this freedom, this justification, this righteousness comes by faith. Luther writes that this freedom is a freedom from the eternal wrath of God. It's found in the conscience because it no longer has cast fear on our hearts for the wrath of God. We no longer have to fear God's wrath. That is the basis of this freedom. That is the source of this freedom. That is where this freedom comes from. Which begs the question, why? Why don't we have to worry about God's wrath anymore? So far, Paul has said that Christ gave himself to rescue us from this present evil age, that he has justified us, that he has given to us his righteousness through his death, and that he also gives to us his spirit, this Holy Spirit, by faith. And these are all wrapped up in this idea of freedom and what it means to be free. But there's another aspect that Paul unwraps for us in chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He reiterates it again in chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Where does this freedom come from? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those who were under law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And finally, toward the end of chapter 4, we're told, you are children of promise, the source of freedom. Explained by Paul in this letter over and over again is all about Christ and all about Christ's completed work on the cross. 
His life, His being born under the law, His becoming a curse for us, His rescuing us from evil, His bearing our sins, His giving us His righteousness, His justifying us, His giving us the Spirit. This is where our freedom of conscience comes from. This is why we don't have to worry about God's wrath because of what Christ has done for us. This freedom doesn't come for us by some heroic action on our part. It isn't some William Wallace-like defiance that we exhibit. It's not our victory over temptation and the sin in our lives. It isn't our obedience to him. It isn't anything else. It's nothing that we have done to earn this freedom. This freedom has only one source, and that source is the promise of God's word, of what it tells us that Christ has done for us. Concerning this freedom, then, Paul exhorts the Galatians to stand firm, not to be subject again to a yoke of slavery. And skipping ahead to verse 5, the means by which this freedom is brought to us is revealed. It's through the Spirit. This freedom comes to us through the Spirit, by faith, by the Word of God. It's promised to us, that secret verdict that God declares us righteous, not because of us, but because of Christ. And so we wait, and we wait in hope, because we see our lives and we see that I am not righteous. We wait in hope that Christ has accomplished what he said he has done, and that he will be faithful to the promise that he has made to us through his word, and that when we see God face to face, that secret verdict will be made known and declared in the presence of us and the presence of our Savior as well. And so as we wait in this hope based on Christ and Christ alone, we will not be disappointed in its result. It is in this hope, it is in this gospel that Paul says to us, that Paul admonishes to the church in this chapter to keep standing firm, to don't ever leave this hope. The source of freedom is the incarnation, the life, the death, the resurrection, the victory of Christ, which has already been accomplished and stands as a historical fact, completed fact. This freedom, brothers and sisters, is sure. However, there is a problem. This freedom is sure. This freedom is certain. As it's accomplished and it's won by Christ. But there's another voice. There's another voice that's vying for space. There's another gospel that is being proclaimed to these believers. So Paul tells them, keep standing firm. Because people are trying and they will continue to try to chip away at the foundation on which they stand. The people who are standing with chisel in hand, attacking the solid ground on which these believers are standing. You would ask them, what is that chisel in your hand for? They'd say, it's not a chisel. I'm not chipping away at the foundation that you're standing on. No, I'm only adding to it. I'm only trying to make it a better foundation, a more sure foundation for you. Just do this one little thing. It's nothing major. It's just one thing that I'm asking you to do, one little work. And the problem with that is whenever you try to add to the finished work of Christ, it's deadly and it's fatal. Whenever you add a work, no matter how little, no matter how small, no matter how insignificant, it makes Christ good for nothing. It makes the finished work of Christ not finished. It makes it incomplete, standing 
weight wanting in the balances. It makes Christ not enough, and it abolishes the freedom that he has come to give to you. Paul holds nothing back, and he blatantly declares in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'm not going to ask if you've been circumcised or not. If this verse is taken out of context, though, it becomes a matter of life or death. A simple medical procedure becomes the unpardonable sin if we take this verse out of context. Again, it's important to remember that the audience that Paul is writing to here is not you and I in 2018. He's not writing to the American church here. He's writing to a specific culture, dealing with specific issues, and he is addressing those issues. We do ourselves and God's word a disservice when we point to a verse and we say, what does this verse say to me? What does this verse mean to me? Without first looking into the context in which it's given. You can't do that. Because when we do that, it makes you the final authority of Scripture. It means Scripture has no meaning until it means something to you and you get to let it mean whatever you want it to mean. Instead, God's Word is God's Word and it means what God would have it to mean regardless of how you or I understand it. We need to instead ask ourselves, what is God saying here rather than what is it saying to me? Going back to the text, going back to the culture in which Paul is writing this epistle, Paul is ministering to Gentiles. This is a non-Jewish audience. The Jewish believers at this time are demanding that if these Gentile converts are truly saved, if they were really serious about Jesus, they'd get circumcised. Everything else is done. You just got to do this one little thing. The issue here in this text isn't circumcision. Paul is clear on that in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. The issue is looking for freedom in the law rather than finding the freedom that Christ has accomplished. It's no longer about looking to Christ and his work, but it's looking to you and your works. That's the issue that Paul is addressing here. The Jewish believers are saying if they were really serious about following Jesus, they'd get circumcised. If you were really serious about following Jesus, you would fill in the blank here with whatever it is that you've probably heard before. It's not a big deal. Not too many people will know about it. After all that what Jesus has done for you, it's the least that you can do for him. You can almost hear the arguments in the back of your head. You can almost hear them because you've heard them before. We no longer talk about circumcision as the thing we have to do for God. Instead, maybe we call it a decision. Maybe we call it a lifestyle that you have to live, a lifestyle you have to adopt. Maybe it's a certain level of obedience we need to reach before we can be truly saved and have comfort in that. Or maybe it's a prayer that needs to be said again and again and again until finally you no longer struggle with sin in your life. Maybe it's being victorious over sin in your life, no longer giving in to temptation. 
Or maybe it's fully surrendering. I mean this time fully surrendering. Cleaning out the whole house, the hallways, the storage closets, all the junk that you're hiding underneath the floorboards from God. Things that you're not quite ready to give up. Maybe it's giving up all of those things. You just got to give it over to God. Do these things sound familiar to you? Have you heard these things before? People mistakenly point us to our freedom in these things. If you do these things, you will be saved. If you do these things, you will be free. But these things don't free us from the wrath of God. Friends, if we demand that we submit to works of law to be saved, if we demand that we are justified, we are righteous, we are redeemed, we are free because of what we've done, whatever that thing is, listen to what Paul says in verse 4 and take note of what Paul says. You have been severed from Christ. You have fallen from grace. This isn't just some minor thing. This isn't some insignificant thing. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in the freedom that Christ has accomplished for you. The believers in Galatia were being pressured to adopt the Jewish ceremonial laws. And that as long as they could be Christians, just so much as they were circumcised. The problem is Christ has already fulfilled the entire ceremonial law. They didn't have to try to keep it again. He has already kept it and kept it on their behalf. What makes you free? What is the source of your freedom? The answer is Christ and only Christ. Christ keeping the law. Christ taking your place. Christ being a curse for you on your behalf. Christ giving you his righteousness. Christ justifying you by grace through faith. This is where freedom is found. And so keep standing firm in the finished work of Christ. The condition of freedom is that it has to be found in Christ alone. Anything else we try to add to it, no matter how good it sounds, no matter how holy it looks, if it's pointing to you to any other work other than the finished work of Christ for you, it is another gospel, contrary to Christ. And that is not good news. It's not gospel. You've been severed from Christ. Don't be severed from Christ, but stand firm in the freedom that he has accomplished. Don't abandon the completed work of Christ. Leaving Christ is leaving freedom. Leaving Christ is being submitting yourself to the wrath of God. Don't do it. Keep standing firm. We are free because of Christ. Christ is the source of freedom. Christ is the condition of freedom, but he's also the purpose of our freedom. You might be thinking to yourself, well, pastor, isn't there something that I should do? Surely I can't just sit here and put my feet up. Isn't it a good thing to surrender my life to Christ? Isn't it good to turn from my sin? Isn't it a good thing to live a godly life, to fear God in my actions? To which I say, yes, yes, it is. These things are good and these things are necessary and we should do them every day. But turning our lives into a list of do's and don'ts isn't freedom. Being free from the wrath of God is not found by doing these things. Being so focused on keeping God's laws has 
that God has given us is not freedom. It's not giving us freedom from God's wrath. There is only one place, there is only one reason for which we are free from God's wrath, and that is because of Christ. As Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of God will continue to accuse us of our sin, and that's a good thing. It really is a good thing. We need to be reminded of our sin. We need to be accused of our sin. We need to flee from it. We need to stop sinning. But it no longer condemns us because Christ has taken care of it on the cross already. Because Christ has become that curse that our sin says we need to be or that we are. So when we are made aware of our sin that we find in our lives, we are to acknowledge it, to confess it, to turn from it again and again and again. But as we are in Christ and as Christ is in us, we are free from the wrath of God. We are rescued from the evil of this world. We are righteous because of Christ's righteousness. We are holy and blameless because Christ has cleansed us and purified us. So now what? What are we supposed to do with this freedom other than stand firm in it and not leave it for anything else? Paul answers that question for us in the last two verses of our text. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Our freedom in Christ frees us from being enslaved to working for our salvation. It frees us to being able to serve others. Since our acceptance before God is based on Christ and what Christ has done for us, and it's a finished work, we don't have to worry about ourselves. So we can take our energy, take our time, take our freedom to serve others. Some take this freedom to mean I can do whatever I want. I've got a a clean bill. I've got forgiveness in Jesus. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's not what freedom is for. That's not why Christ has freed you. It's not to give us license for the flesh to follow our evil, wicked hearts. But God is clear we are to use our freedom to love and to serve our neighbor. We are to live our lives informed by the law to love and to serve our neighbors. In confirmation, we're going through this now. We've finally gotten into the second table of the law, which deals with our relationship to our neighbors. All of these things. God hasn't freed us so that we don't have to do these things anymore. No, he's freed us that when we fail from these things, we're not under God's wrath. He has forgiven us. But he still desires for us to honor our parents and those in authority over us. Not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to covet. And the list goes on and on. He has given us these laws so we know what it means to love and to serve our neighbor. We are to live our lives informed by the law to love and serve our neighbors. We are to love and to serve all people, especially, especially those who need our help, whether or not their Christian is irrelevant. God calls us to love and serve our neighbor. This world is full of people that need your help, that need my help. So keep standing firm in Christ, who alone has purchased your freedom, and use your freedom to love and to serve others. Use your freedom to point others to freedom. 
that Christ has set us free from the bondage to sin and to death, that we are justified, we are righteous, we are redeemed, we are set free, we are adopted as sons because of Christ and what he has done for us already. Freedom is realized and received by faith and not works of the law. Therefore, keep standing firm in the grace of God that is found in Christ Jesus and continue to love and to serve your neighbor, showing them that freedom is found in Christ, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for being a God who loves us, for being a God who is willing to enter into our pain, into our suffering, into our fallen human world, to be born of a woman, born under law for us, to become a curse for us, to redeem us from a curse, to save us from the wrath of God so that we can be free, that we can be forgiven. Lord, so we can be free to love and serve our neighbors, those you've put into our path to love and to serve, to point to you, Father, I pray that you would help us to do that in our lives, that you would continue to accuse us of our sin, that you would continue to call us to repentance, but Lord, that you would also continue to point us to you and what you have done, that we may be free from your wrath because of the finished and completed work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We thank you for this freedom. In Jesus' name we pray.